the Film Guide with Max Hartington, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide and our brand new Film Guide host is with us now in the shape of none other than Max Hartington. Hello, Max. Hello, Danny. Hi. And uh, people who might have listened to us in another place in another time might well know Max's voice, but but if you are... If if you didn't listen to us before in a different place in a different time, then you wouldn't. But anyway, uh, Max, uh, welcome along. You're, you're you're a young St Albans lad who is um, by day a trainee school teacher, but but by night you you are quite passionate about movies. Would that be a fair description I, of you? I, I will take that. I think I'll I'll take that and run with it. I think that's a very nice sort of a description there. No, I have always been very passionate about films, uh, whether good or bad or somewhere in between. I figure they're a they're a nice sort of way to you know, spend your time. And I have lots of very questionable opinions on films that I'm sure people would love to hear. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see where we get on. So uh, the film guide, as usual, will uh, we will end with uh, Max's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. We will also have um, a, a part three of the film guide where we're looking at Max's um, favourite action movies. We'll, we'll find out more about that a bit later uh, then also um, part two will be as usual looking at new releases on streaming service uh, services and that's new releases of original movies on streaming services but we start things off with a look at the cinema and uh, we're looking at a new release that comes out on uh, Friday the 18th of February and also we will be talking about a film that is on current release that Max has quite recently seen in fact we're saying that at the point of recording this bit he hasn't yet seen the film he's about to go off and see it and then we're going to record the other bit a few days later and edit it in and it'll be as if it all just was seamless we can call it movie magic yeah 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 what could possibly go wrong anyway so so there's one new release that's notable that's worth talking about this week uh max tell us more of course uh coming up so this week and friday coming to cinema to a cinema near you is dog uh, this is a sort of comedy film that stars uh, Channing Tatum as an army ranger named Briggs who's uh, racing down the Pacific coast to make it to a, a comrade's uh, funeral on time. But along the way, uh, Briggs is forced to bring along the dog Lulu with him who has to, you know, together the, and their journey, they'll learn a little bit about themselves, learn to be better people. And having seen the trailer, I'm very excited, actually. OK, so this dog is a, it's an army dog? Yes, so Lulu, so it's quite an interesting concept, actually. So Lulu is a, um, a dog in an army unit who seems to be suffering from much like a soldier can, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, dogs can also suffer PTSD, much like okay. humans can as well. So it seems that Lulu is a dog who, having been in the, um, in the armed forces, seems to be sort of struggling. Lulu is sort of renowned for being a dog in the service that uh, has assaulted pretty much the last five army officers who have tried to take care of her. So it's sort of a joke that Channing Tatum, who's the sort of, you know, wisecracking army ranger who doesn't really care about his job, has been paired up with a dog that uh, nobody likes. But um, he has to deliver that dog to uh, the dog's sort of owner's funeral uh, down the coast. But um, I think it's it sort of uh, at the start of the trailer, it seems like it's sort of this is play for jokes. But, you know, I think there's going to be there's going to be a moral to this comedy story. OK, about, you know, uh, I notice as well that um, Channing Tatum is also listed as one of the directors of the movie. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I think it's nice to see Channing Tatum sort of taking that. He's, his career has sort of taken interesting sort of changes over the time, but it's nice to see him sort of jumping around to the um, the more director side. I wonder if he had a say in how many times he got attacked by the dog. <laughs> well, yes, uh, the, the, that's something that, that happens more than once in the movie then, do you think? 
Uh, it definitely from what well, from the looks of the trailer, uh, it starts off with the dog going for him, but then it seems the dog uh, decides to attack his, the interior of his car next. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, and it's uh, as uh, as far as I can see, it's Channing Tatum's directorial debut. Uh, um, but but he's listed as co-director on this movie. But that's the film Dog, and it comes out on Friday the eighteenth of February. So, Max, uh, tell us about uh, the film that's currently on general release that you've seen, which is Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile. Of course. So, yeah, I've just got back from seeing uh, Death on the Nile with Kenneth Branagh. Um, it was a. It's quite well, the way you say that. One, you, what, so. Did you? Did he share the popcorn? Was he? You know, was he quite a good cinema companion? Oh yeah, he was doing his French accent all in my ear and everything. It was a real experience. It's like Poirot right. was sat next to me. Okay, he's Belgian, but okay, yeah. <laughs> He's Belgian. Okay. <laughs> Shows my right. there. Uh, but, yeah. um, so, of course, a uh, really, um, really exciting film to watch. Um, so, in terms of the production itself, uh, Death and Love, of course, is the sequel to uh, Murder on the Orient Express, also starring uh, Kenneth Branagh as a Poirot from this um, for the Agatha Christie series of stories. So, we sort of see him popping in and out of all of these murder mysteries. Uh, so this one was originally slated to uh, come out in 2019. It's had a bit of a troubled production uh, in terms of getting all the actors together. And of course, uh, d- due to a certain uh, pandemic that went on, the film was delayed for a little bit. So uh, here it is uh, a couple of years later after the intended release. But I can personally say um, I think it was quite an enjoyable one, uh, really. Uh, in terms of this is, of course, my actual first sort of exposure to the character of Poirot. This is the first time I've seen him. Um I thought I'd go in by saying that I actually hadn't seen uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the earlier one from a few years ago, but I didn't really feel like I missed anything from not seeing it. Uh, this one is very much, I suppose, in the, the case of it being you know, a classic murder mystery, Agatha Christie story, you can just sort of go in and you've got the setup, you've got a bunch of rich people are uh, trapped on, instead of being trapped on a train this time, uh, they're all trapped on a boat, uh, dealing with some sort of a, a mystery. I won't um, spoil who it is that uh, is... Uh, sort of, you know, uh, axed. But after at a certain point, it, we get a big mystery. We've got all these uh, big actors sort of thing, and we can't really trust anyone. Okay. Now, what about the look of the movie? Uh, the Branagh's first um, uh, Hercule Poirot uh, adaptation was was sumptuous. It, it, it looked glamorous and exotic, and it had this beautiful, rich, warm sort of colour palette. And, and it had this, this quite... I don't know, quite a sizzling um, look on on screen. How how does uh, how does this one look? Hmm, well, I sort of think in terms of the the aesthetic, uh, it's very interesting getting this sort of obviously it uh, focuses on this like this really fantastic looking riverboat that goes along the Nile. Uh, Color wise, it's really fascinating. I did have a problem in that um, every once in a while we sort of get a close up on uh, one of our many actors, and it's very apparent there's a big green screen behind them. Uh, of course, I can't say how this compares to Murder on the Orient Express, but every once in a while, you sort of think, oh, it's really nice, you know, seeing their emotions. But in the background, there's a um, not the best looking CGI crocodile that's sort of hovering around. <laughs> OK. Oh, dear. Um, I mean, the, the difference, I mean, Murder on the Orient Express is largely set on the train. So, you know, you, beyond seeing through the windows, it was effectively it was all indoors. Um, so mm. so this is a little bit more open, I suppose. Um, but uh, t- tell us a bit about the cast then, because, it, again, it as as other um, Poirot adaptations also have, this has something of an all star cast. Yeah, they have really gone all out. So in terms of we have uh, Kenneth Branagh stars as uh, Poirot himself, the main focus, the sort of the uh, the whole sort of premise of them being on this riverboat is a uh, Army Hammer plays a sort of English um, 
down on his luck man who has married a, a rich uh, lady played by Gal Gadot, uh, Lynette Ridgeway. Army Hammer, of course, is sort of um, been quite a few films. I, I think I know him quite formally as uh, having starred in uh, The Social Network, the David Fincher one. That's why I quite know him. Well, he played um, the twins who were sort of... Uh, well, he played two characters at the same time, playing twins who they put in the scene together. And uh, Gal Gadot, of course, has been quite famous recently for playing Wonder Woman. So we've seen her quite frequently on the screen at this point. Um, so she's sort of established um, quite a good... But um, even going back, we have lots of stars that have sort of made appearances. Tom Bateman uh, returns, actually, as a character called Book, who starred in Murder on the Orient Express. Um, yeah, now, so his character wasn't in, if, if you've got any Agatha Christie aficionados, his character wasn't actually in Death on the Nile. The, the, this is uh, something that, that they've, they've put into this movie. However, he's replacing a similar character that was in Death on the Nile. But I, I, I guess it was, um, it was some sort of continuity thing from the first film, thinking, well, you know, how can we tie them together more so? It is nice. They have sort of um, uh, him and uh, uh, Bateman and sort of um, Brown have this sort of buddy cop thing going on where Poirot is playing this sort of very eccentric person. And I suppose Bateman uh, is also playing a very eccentric person who sort of drags Poirot down and makes him a bit more, uh, uh, a bit more human, I suppose. Uh, in terms okay. of other char- uh, other actors as well, uh, Letitia Wright does a really fantastic job. Uh, Letitia Wright, who sort of, um, she's appeared in things like Black Mirror, Black Panther, of course. She played, um, she played uh, the... Uh, so in terms of being in a big Hollywood film, she played the brother of um, the character played by Chadwick Boseman, T'Challa. So she's okay. she's putting on an American accent in this film as well. And um, I don't know if it's because I knew that she was British, but I was very aware of it. But I don't think it was that bad. On a note of people putting accents on as well, Army Hammer uh, is putting on an English accent in this one. So a lot of people have sort of uh, switched around. All right. Um, and also um, uh, sort of, you know, uh, classic, uh, classic uh, British comedy stars, French and Saunders are in there. Yes. Yeah. And they, they of course, th- their characters have to be tied together. Um, uh, Saunders is actually playing a sort of the well-off aunt of uh, Gal Gadot, who's been invited on this voyage, whereas Dawn French is playing her living, is playing her living maid. So okay. they get, uh, they get a sort of, uh, you know, they get to share looks and, uh, uh, and, and then- bounce off each other. Okay, and another um, uh, uh, and does that does that work? But I mean, I don't know if you you are a fan of French and Saunders, if you've experienced much of what they've done before. But do, do, do they do they work well together on screen? Do they do they share a lot of scenes together? They definitely have a lot of chemistry. I think it's the idea of the um, well, well, of course, everybody on this boat is sort of a suspect for one reason or another. But I think the two of them share a lot of time together, and it, it, I think it's a more of a subtle. They share glances. There is a relationship between the two characters, but. Okay. Um, and, I, I, mean, wonder, I do wonder the... if oh, I do wonder if the, uh, the in terms of the roles themselves, uh, whether it was a case of the roles were created with the idea of um, French and Saunders in mind, or whether it was a case of they had these characters and then decided after. But it definitely feels more like the the former. Okay, um, it's uh, it's interesting as well looking at some of the other the, the cast members. You have got Emma Mackey in there, who is from um, Sex, Sex Education, that's on Netflix at the minute. Um, you've got Annette Benning uh, in there as well. Um, you know, a very acclaimed actress and and wife of uh, Warren Beatty. Uh, Rose Leslie from Game of Thrones, and um, she was recently in a Vigil, the BBC submarine drama, and. Uh, uh, she's there, and also um, another sort of star from from the world of comedy, Russell Brand. Now, what's what's he like in this? Russell Brand, Russell Brand's character is possibly the least Russell Brand person you could imagine. He plays a very quiet and nervous doctor on the boat, who uh, who, in terms of him being a suspect, he actually is the 
the ex-partner of uh, Gal Gadot's character, who was still invited along because he's still very close to the family. But um, it's quite funny seeing him. His hair is the shortest I've ever seen it. It's not a uh, sort of in his crazy locks as it normally is. He's got a very kept beard and he has a pair of uh, spectacles on the whole time. He's very, he looks just like somebody who, funnily enough, would step out of an Agatha Christie uh, novel. He, he really, uh, the wardrobe department did an amazing job on him. And actually on that note, I think uh, the wardrobe department has really nailed it in the film. Everyone looks very, um, like very proper, very much like a bunch of rich people who you would suspect as to be on a big uh, cruise. So in terms of that, uh, you have to give them props. Every, everyone looks very fantastic. Okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, you know, it, it sounds like you quite enjoyed it. Would you, now having seen this film, are you interested in going back to see um, uh, Branagh's first uh, take of, of Poirot? And, and indeed, are you interested in seeing other adaptations, either of Death on the Nile or just other um, Poirot stories? I definitely do want to go back. I think I do want to see Murder on the Orient Express now because actually having read some things around the film, it seems that the focus that Branagh puts on Poirot's character itself, um, there's sort of an analysis of the fact that Poirot was actually in the, uh, well, I suppose it was added for this film, but um, Poirot sort of took on a role in the First World War and he has this sort of like, um, uh, sort of an OCD um, personality thing going on that I think hasn't been delved into before. So I think I'd definitely like to see more of Branagh's take on the character. But then uh, I personally found his little eccentricities really a real delight to watch. And I think I'd like to go and see if um, other characters have done this, uh, have sort of uh, added to this take before. Okay, that's uh, that's uh, Max's take on uh, Death on the Nile, which is out in cinemas now. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm, and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Time now to uh, take a look at new releases on the streaming services and uh, just one on Netflix uh, that I believe comes out on Friday, the 18th of February. Max? Of course. So coming to Netflix uh, this Friday, the 18th of February, is going to be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a sort of a spiritual successor to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, uh, which uh, has uh, the iconic Leatherface of you know horror movie fame uh, returning after fi- almost 50 years of hiding to uh, chase none other than a bunch of social media influencers who wish to find out about his story. You see already, I'm kind of cheering him on. <laughs> they really did. They, I was saying earlier that in my opinion, they, they took you know, the classic and they wanted to make it as modern as possible this time. So who else do you want to see murdered more than, no longer are we going for the sort of, you know, the uh, hitchhiking teenagers of the first film. We're now going for people you see on Instagram all the time. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so this is not a, a remake or, or anything else. This is this is a, a sequel, but it's ignoring all the other Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, of which there have been plenty, and it is just a sequel to the original one from the 1970s, the Toby Hooper-directed uh, movie. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. So this is just a completely a direct sequel sort of where, sort of, um, how do we say, uh, wiping, wiping the 
I'm messing up my uh, my analogs. I'm really really good for radio there. But it's sort of wiping the slate clean. There we go. I found it. Wiping the slate clean of uh, the previous sequels, making it ex- as accessible to new audiences as possible, which I think is sort of the the mo of Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. And and so this is an original title of theirs. So it's so obviously they now own the rights to this, and they're they're now trying to see how much uh, how much they can bleed dry out of this particular franchise. Um, but but I mean, it's worked it for other horror films. I mean, you look at Friday the Thirteenth. You look at the Halloween films. There have been so many of those, and 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 of late, the Halloween films have had a degree of um, credibility added to them in in the return of the original star of the Halloween films. Um, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Having Jamie Lee Curtis back Jamie in Curtis it. Back. Yeah, there was an unbelievably long gap there that I've just edited out, so no one will have known that. But yes, I couldn't <laughs> think of her name. Jamie Lee Curtis um, uh, is back in those movies, and it adds a degree of credibility. But I think at the same time, you're supposed to ignore most of the previous films that that followed the original. Exactly. Well, it worked for Halloween. I think it's going to work for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But um, I put, I really, um, I'm a big fan of all of these uh, sort of more modern remakes that make it a bit more accessible. I thought. Um, I'm sure that there are Friday the 13th fans out there listening to this who are about to, you know, uh, have me brutally murdered, just like somebody in one of those films. But I really like the 2009 Friday the 13th film. I think it sort of, it takes the elements of what made the the original film uh, succeed, but, you know, it gives it a new sort of like breath of fresh air, it brings it to a new audience, which is always a very important part. Okay, so you're referring there to, I think, was it sometime in the late 2000s when they remade the original Friday the 13th? And as a as a younger film fan, you actually quite enjoyed that? I, I have respect for the classics, but I can see, you know, taking what works and then running with it is always a good idea. Okay. Well, this is, so this is called, um, yeah, this is called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it is a spiritual sequel to the original one. It's not a remake of the original one. It is set uh, nearly 50 years after the original. That's, 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 that's right, is it? That is correct. Yeah. So we've got the, uh, the, a slight spoiler for the original, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but uh, the one survivor, or the final girl, as you would call them, if you're a horror aficionado, uh, has made it through, has told their stories, and now some other um, poor, poor individuals are about to uh, chase the legacy of her story and uh, encounter Leatherface. Okay, but that original character who survived the first movie is back in this film. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, Owen Fury is playing Sally, Har- uh, Sally Hardesty, the survivor of the original film. Of course, okay. not um, taking on the role of the original actress who sadly passed away a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Marilyn Burns was rather famously the original actress who pl- who was in that, and yeah, she she died some years back, so obviously she's not going to be back in it. Um, that would be a, pr- a pretty big coup for Netflix if they could work that one out. But anyway, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, is out on Friday, the eighteenth of February on Netflix. Uh, when we return, we'll be finding out why Max likes action movies. The Film Guide with Max Hartington, part of the St Albans Podcast with Danny Smith. Part three of the St Albans Film Guide uh, always sees uh, a, a, a sort of a, a, f- a bit of a free reign for the for the host that week where um, they can choose a theme and talk about a movie and, and there's very little input from me on how that is done. So Max, I gather action movies are, are taking your focus. Is that right? We have a, a working title. It's either Action to the Max or Max Action. Yeah, uh, we'll, you know, we'll sort of uh, workshop it as things go on. But right now, I think that's a, one of those is definitely going to work. But yeah, um, I'm personally a really big fan of action films. You know, I think, you know, there's plenty of films out there. You can be very cerebral and they can have effect emotions and stuff. But sometimes I just want to watch people blow things up and uh, shoot at things. And I think I'll have a laugh as well while I'm at it. So, when did you first realise that you were into action films? 
Ooh, it's got to be, I think it would be, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Goldeneye, uh, a very uh, classic film, uh, you know, one of the first ones I was shown when I was uh, sort of indoctrinated to the, the James Bond uh, film family. But uh, ever since then, you know, I think Pierce Brosnan has uh, shaped my personality, uh, if that doesn't sound strange at all, into um, how I view films and how I can just sort of uh, enjoy watching, uh, you know, uh, Pierce Brosnan or anybody uh, drive a tank through downtown Russia. So that was your first, that was your introduction to the action movie then the Bond film uh, Goldeneye so. came out in 1995. Were you even alive then? Uh, no, I was not actually. It was uh, two years older than me. Goldeneye is right. So so you saw it sometime afterwards, but but it sort of I don't know. It, it, it had an impact on you that 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 made you then long for and and enjoy not just specifically a Bond film, but but an action film. Yeah, I think uh, from seeing that film, just all of a sudden, I found that. Uh, there's just, um, I think having a, such a plot that, you know, you don't really need to focus on the, you don't need to think hard about what the characters are going through or the sort of struggles they're facing. Uh, the only struggle they're facing is that somebody wants to do something really bad and they have to uh, do it in the most, they have to solve that problem in the most loud and explosive way possible. Okay. Um, have you been a fan in particular of anything else that Piers Brosnan has done or was it just more the type of film that you were drawn to? Uh, unfortunately, I've ne- I do know he's done Mamma Mia, but I've never seen Mamma Mia, so I don't think I can I say. I don't know that if that would really fall in, That wouldn't really fall into the action category, I don't think. So you, you're probably fine there. But uh, <laughs> okay, so, so we're going to look at an action film now, and uh, which one have you chosen for your first uh, film guide? Hmm. So if I think that uh, Goldeneye was my introduction to the uh, the film, uh, the action film sort of uh, family, then I'm going to go for the film that I think uh, perfected the action film uh, rep- uh, repartee. And I'm going to go forward with uh, an iconic actor who everyone is going to say it might be, you know, the grandfather of action films themselves, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall in 1990. And I'm going to say it right now, in my opinion, it is one of the best action films ever ever made. So I'm going to start off the Max Action. Uh, There's the name there. Uh, I can't do anything about it. Uh, Segment by talking about uh, Total Recall. Okay, um, so, uh, well, for, for those who don't know, t- t- just tell us something of the story. Of course. So uh, Total Recall is an adaptation of uh, one of Philip K. Dick's sort of uh, old classic su- uh, short science fiction novellas, where a man, a Douglas Quaid, uh, is bored. He works a very boring job, and he thinks that I want to make my life a bit more exciting. So in the future, they have these new um, sort of scientific uh, memory-enhancing units where somebody can plug themselves into a computer and sort of give themselves a false uh false story basically like they like a false experience isn't it it's a false experience so so if they can't afford to go on holiday to mauritius they could buy a memory that they were there for two weeks and then and then it's like they've had the holiday without actually having to have physically Mm. gone they can buy that memory that's kind of how they do it isn't it so douglas quaid uh thinks he wants to make his life more exciting so he decides he's going to buy a holiday to mars mars of course in the future is the uh the sort of prime holiday destination that everyone wants to go to but during that time he's also given the option of if he wants to make his life more interesting by plugging in the story of him being a spy so the thing is that as soon as he does uh as soon as he goes through this experience he finds that actually maybe this is actually what's happening all of a sudden people are sort of chasing him in an action film style, he's in gunfights in hallways and stuff, and he's much better at uh, punching, kicking things, being built like Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, than he could do previously. So there's that. There is this long going question: Was he always a spy? Did he have his life rewritten to be a spy? His memories, uh, but that's you know that because we are doing the action movie segment, 
uh, that doesn't really get in the way because uh, basically Arnie is chased around by tons of goons. He, uh, he, you know, gets in big gunfights with them. He punches a lot of them and he has the best quips in any film I've ever seen that I still regularly quote to this day. I mean, this is kind of peak Arnie, really, isn't it? You know, he before this he had done he done Terminator, he had done Predator, uh, he'd done a couple of other movies, but this was kind of him at his best. I'm not saying it went downhill after that because he he did some other great films after this. Yeah, Terminator Two came a couple of years later, but this really is a great example of peak Arnie, isn't it? I think he's having a lot of fun making this film. I I, and I think it comes across. And it's um, directed by Paul Verhoeven, who also made Robocop and, and Starship Troopers. And there is something of a familiar feeling with, you know, they, they were all films set in the future. They were all films that had this slightly dystopian view of the future. And, um, and you know, there's something they're very stylized as well. And, and Paul Verhoeven's films, they were also quite, quite gruesome, weren't they? I mean, this didn't, this didn't pull any punches, did it, in terms of the gore? No, it did not at all. Uh, there's one particular scene involving an, uh, an elevator that I can uh, remember very distinctly for, for its uh, gruesome nature. Okay, so um, it's got an interesting cast as well, including um, Sharon Stone. And this was just before, I think it was just before Basic Instinct, again by Paul Verhoeven. Um, uh, but but yeah, she she's in there as well, playing his wife. His, uh, his wife, who uh, once, you know, uh, Arnie starts questioning whether things are real or not, or I should say Douglas, Douglas instead of Arnie, but who starts questioning that once things uh, start taking a sort of a science fiction spy ship, he starts questioning if she's really his wife or has in fact uh, pl- been planted there as part of a scheme to sort of keep him from going to Mars. But she also does a really fantastic job in this as well, sort of jumping between the role of being a, a nice caring wife and uh, a, an assassin who's trying to kill Arnie. Okay. Um, Favourite line for the movie? Oh, I'll see you at the party, Richter. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, I, did, I did look, a, a quickly looked up some quotes and, and there's another great one here. Consider that a divorce, but we won't say <laughs> where that fits into the movie because that's spoilers and all. But um, Listener, but you yeah. can create your own context for these quotes. Yeah, yeah, quite. Um, but yes, yeah, oh, so great. Yeah, great, great film indeed. Uh, have you seen the um, remake? With Colin Farrell? I, I have, in fact, seen the remake as well. So the remake takes quite an interesting turn. Uh, the 1990 film focuses on people going to Mars as a holiday destination, whereas in the original Philip K. Dick novella, it's about going on holiday to Australia, which is sort of created as this um, mystical sort of a utopian holiday destination, which they took back in the, uh, the 2012 remake. Okay, I, I I I recently watched that remake for the first time, and I was quite impressed by it, and and I did think it was a lot better than I thought it might have been, um, and and I gather as well, it it was based on obviously based on the same source material, but but interpreted it differently, so and and perhaps in some places maybe kept a little bit closer than the Arnie version. I'll give it that. I do think it had quite a nice cast as well, but I personally am a, a more of a pro- proponent of the uh, the 1990 version. Okay, that's uh, Total Recall from 1990, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, and uh, that is uh, Max's inaugural choice for, for uh, what, what are we calling this again? Max? I think Max Action. Right, okay. Yeah, we'll work it's, on it's that. It's still a work in progress. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast, One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story, and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. 
Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's one-to-one with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Time now for the final part of this week's film guide. This is where we look at uh, Max Hartington's choice of the the films to watch on UK free-to-air TV for the week ahead. Uh, Max, where are we starting? Well, we're going to start off uh, this Friday, the 18th of February, with a another... Um, this might actually bleed in from our previous section, so I think I've actually planned this very well. It's almost like I've put some thought in. Uh, this Friday, the 18th, at 9pm on ITV4, you can find none other than Terminator 2 Judgment Day free to watch on review, which I would still pay money to watch this film. Yeah, so it's funny, we, we you just talked about um, about Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall, and then, yes, uh, sort of linking nicely, because this film came, I think, just two years later, I believe. Yeah, he had a, Arnie had a really good 90s. Okay, so um, for those who don't know, t- uh, tell us about Terminator 2. Of course, so Terminator 2 is a, um, a sequel, of course, to the original Terminator film. Uh, the original Terminator dealt with a, um, a, an evil robot played by none other than Arnie, uh, sent back in time to try and kill none other than the mother of a uh, future soldier, John Connor, uh, back in the past. So the Terminator was sent back to sort of uh, deal, uh, try and get rid of um, his mother, Sarah Connor. Uh, but ultimately, spoilers for the first film, uh, things don't work out very well. So Terminator 2... Uh, sees uh, a John Connor who's a little older, he's in his teens, and uh, two robots are sent back in time to chase John Connor. One, of course, still being played by uh, Arnie, who is playing the T- T-800, I believe, the uh, the Terminator unit is, versus the T-1000, another robot who's even more advanced than Arnie, played by Robert Patrick. Yeah, now he was great in this, wasn't he? He 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 was really really good for um you know because he was somebody that I I I think it might be reasonable to say he he was probably quite unknown before this part, and he's cropped mm. up on lots of things since then. But but this he was just chilling because he was a lot smaller than Arnie, so you sort of think well he can't possibly be stronger than Arnie, but you genuinely believed that he was way more powerful than Arnie was, and it worked so well. He was chilling. It was all in the eyes. It's the way he looks at the camera. He, like he really perfects the sort of killing machine look. Yeah, and um, I think as well, the film faced something of a challenge because you had, um, uh, you know, in the first film, Arnie was the villain. He was he was relatively new to movies at this point. He'd done he'd done a couple of films, but you know he he was still trying to break out, um, and uh, and so he was cast as the villain. And then somehow they had, to, you know, by this time, Arnie's huge. He's a superstar. And and for whatever reason, it was decided, you know, oh, no, he can't be the villain anymore. He has to now be the hero. And so how do you do that? And do you think they got away with it? Do you think they, they switched it quite well? I think they do a good job. You know, they, they sort of, of course, they're going to go with the whole, oh, we've reprogrammed the robot from the first film to instead be a good guy now. But it's, uh, uh, Arnie definitely sells it. And it's sort of, um, you know, this science fiction film or action film sort of somehow bleeds in. I think having Arnie with his sort of more friendly stardom at this point plays off the whole sort of buddy buddy relationship between a, a you know, a giant, however tall he is, six foot three robot and a little uh, teenage American boy, how they can end up being, you know, best friends, despite the fact being yeah. chased by the T-1000. 
And uh, and and the 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 boy in question, uh, pl- uh, the played by the actor Edward Furlong, was very good. And the and the, the way that he and Arnie worked together, it it really you you really bought into their relationship. Um, mm. And and returning actress uh, Linda Hamilton as well, very good uh, in, in this. Uh, I think she was married to James Cameron at the time, um, oh. who, who's the director and the director of the first um, Terminator film as well. Um, I was going to say, oh, I was going to say, I don't think you can really cheapen. I, I was saying how great you know. Uh, Arnie was and Edward Furlong and Robert Patrick. I really don't want to cheapen how great a performance Linda Hamilton puts in this as well. She really is. She's very intense. She really nails the role of someone who has actually had a really traumatic experience for the, I mean, going through the first film, if you were being chased by Arnie, I think you'd be a bit shocked as well, wouldn't you? Yeah. Now there've been a lot of sequels to this. Um, How do the others stack up to this one in your opinion? Oh, well, let's see. We have Terminator 3, which um, isn't uh, isn't quite up to the standard of Terminator 2. We have, I believe it's Terminator hmm, Terminator 4, I want to say. Is, is that Genesis? Yeah, yeah don't, don't show I, you ignorance by trying to list them if, if, you, if you don't know what they are. But but certainly of the ones you've seen, are they as good as this? No, I don't think, I don't think anything can hold a candle to Terminator 2. Okay, because yeah, there was Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. That there have been subsequent Terminators since then as well. There was Terminator Genesis. Uh, there was um, there was one with the girl with the dragons from um, uh, from Game of Thrones. Uh, but uh, then most recently, I think it was was it Terminator Dark Fate, which saw um, uh, saw Linda Hamilton back in in the term, and it kind of ignored all the ones after Terminator Two. Because it it did a whole timey travelly thing, and where it went back to just not long after the events of Terminator Two, so it, it it was able to 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 basically then say the others didn't really exist. Um, I can't believe they're trying to rewrite Terminator Two. No, 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 no. It was set after Terminator Two, so it it got rid of Terminators Three and Four and the TV series and all the others. Hmm. Some could say they did as a favour. I don't know. It depends on uh, your opinion on the rest of the Terminator films, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, okay, well, anyway, the Terminator Two, often cited as well as one of the examples of a film that was better than the original. Do, do you I hold with a, that? That's a very strong debate. I think they are two very different films. I think Terminator Two uh, is an incredible action is an incredible action film, whereas Terminator One is a good thriller, which I suppose is also the same thing said about the Aliens series as well. Interestingly, as well, Aliens also by James Cameron. Um, the, the the sequel to Alien, which again is often also listed as you know a, a great example of a sequel that maybe surpassed the original. Um, I think there's a stronger argument for saying that Aliens didn't surpass it, but it maybe equaled it. But Terminator, the Terminator was um, was quite low budget, whereas Terminator Two had a huge budget, and so you know that they were able to 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 spend an awful lot, and it won four Oscars for for various visual things, for you know special effects and makeup and sound editing and all those sort of technical ones. So it, it did rather well. But I anyway, used the word bombastic. I think bombastic is how I describe uh, Terminator Two. Okay, Terminator 2 Judgment Day is on Friday the 18th of February, ITV4, 9pm. Let's move to Saturday the 19th of February, 9pm on Channel 4, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, yeah, so Bohemian Rhapsody is a retelling of the uh, the sort of the startup of the of none other than the iconic band Queen, uh, with a sort of special look upon Freddie Mercury, who we all know. Uh, he, he does that one song about the, uh, um, the really sad little boy. <laughs> That's a great way of summing up uh, the song Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, so, so um, th- th- yes. Yeah, so, so, this kind of am I right in thinking this chart sort of from his early life up to Live Aid? 
Would that be? Yes, yes. So the film sort of talks, talks about the early early stages of a Queen as a band, how they sort of you know get together and they begin to be picked up by a big record label, and it does sort of chart the uh, the sort of key events leading up to that you know the event that we all know them from, uh, Live Aid. Yeah, obviously you're saying that as a younger person, older people might know Queen from an awful lot more than just Live Aid. But yes, uh, <laughs> okay. Um, now uh, it's um, it, now I gather that that. If you're looking for a documentary on Queen, this isn't it because I think it plays fast and loose with with the chronology of some of what happened to them. But um, it, it, it's how does it you know if you put that to one side, how does it stand up? What are the musical performances like? What what is it? You know, in what way did you find it engaging? Um, I found it engaging that I think. Well, I want to start saying that uh, Rami Malek uh, is does. Yep. I think he does a really fantastic. I believe he was Oscar Oscar nominated for his. No, he was Oscar winning. Uh, Oscar he won winning, the Oscar for, for playing Freddie Mercury. Nominated Again, this winning, film won so. four Oscars. So, so far, your your films that you've chosen on Free to Air TV have all won four Oscars. Um, I don't know if that's going to continue. Films. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I no, think Rami Malek does a really good job creating this sort of, um, this picture of Freddie Mercury, who I think from all the coverage I've seen of Freddie Mercury, um, he has this really fascinating character that I think Rami Malek at least does some credit to. He's a very peculiar character who I think Rami Malek, who... I think he's sort of made a career of playing these sort of uh, out there characters. I mean, the first thing I saw was Night at the Museum, and uh, but Mr. Robot is sort of the 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 Amazon show that everyone sort of uh, caught track of his acting ability on. But I really think that uh, he does a really good job just uh, giving this credit. And then there's all these fantastic sequences where the songs are being written. Like we see that uh, we see everyone coming together and creating these pieces, and the whole time it's sort of focusing on um, the life behind it, I suppose. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Bohemian Rhapsody, the story of uh, of Freddie Mercury. Um, there have been rumblings about whether there might be a sequel to this, kind of covering the next stage of his life from after Live Aid. But, but certainly, this is this is the story of the legendary uh, rock band Queen and Freddie Mercury leading up to their famous performance at Live Aid from 1985. The movie was from 2018, and it is on. Uh, 9 p.m. on Saturday the 19th of February on Channel 4. Now let's move to Sunday the 20th of February, 9 p.m. on Film 4, uh, Sicario 2, Soldado. Sicario 2, Soldado. So Sicario is one of my um, favourite films. It's a really fantastic film, very tense. And Sicario 2, I think, does a really good job of, uh, I would say, following on from the... It's standing in the footsteps of of its predecessor, but it does a really fantastic job. I think um, the character of uh, Benicio Del Toro, uh, Alejandro, who was in the first Sicario film, uh, he was such a hit uh, character, despite sort of taking a a co-star role in the first one, that the second film came out and they just basically gave him as much screen time as possible to sort of show just how fantastic a job he can do. And I think, if anything... You should watch Sicario 2 just to see Benicio de Toro absolutely uh, chew some scenery and really be uh, just a, a badass. Okay. Uh, Josh Brolin in there as well, uh, doing quite well. Yes, yes. So Josh Brolin sort of plays a uh, CIA handler. He's the the one who sort of uh, puts things together for Benicio de Toro's character to sort of uh, tear through the cartel. And it is quite... um. It's another, uh, it's despite being this sort of action film sort of thing, it has some really tense scenes as well. It focuses on some really sort of intense top, uh, intense topics, this sort of um, idea of the, the war, like bombings and war in America and sort of the relationship between that and uh, the Mexican border. 
And there are some really uh, tense scenes that sort of display the civilian side of this, how people are affected by uh, such a great, uh, scary ideas, I suppose. Okay. Um, if you're interested, the word Sicario means hitman and soldado means soldier. So uh, that, that, those are because these are Spanish words. Uh, and now, did you know, Max, that this is the fifth movie in which Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin have co-starred? Yeah. So, so they, they were in Inherent Vice, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Sicario and Avengers Infinity War. Uh, because course, uh, Benicio yeah. Del Toro plays the collector in the Marvel films, and uh, and Josh Brolin played Thanos, I think. Of um, course, yeah. Well, they were. I suppose I don't know how many scenes they re- they did have a few scenes together in those ones. Actually, now I think about it, but uh, not quite the same relationship as they have in this film here. Okay, uh, and apparently this film as well is the second one of a proposed trilogy. Uh, but given that that this second one came out four years ago, and this was very hot on the heels of the first one that came out. It's possible that the third one isn't isn't coming out anytime soon. Maybe we might this be waiting to do it for a while. Okay, but yeah, the the first one was a cracking film, and this is a worthy successor to it. Um, that's a Sunday, the twentieth of February, nine pm on Film Four, Sicario Two, Soldado. Let's move to Monday, the twenty first of uh, February, IC4, ICV Four, nine pm, um, and another one that's part of a, a series, and this is A Fistful of Dollars. Had to go for the absolute classic, the 1964 Spaghetti Western, the one that everyone knows, uh, none other than the man himself, Clint Eastwood, uh, being the man with, mo- with no name and really chewing some scenery, <laughs> but doing a fantastic job uh, just being a cowboy, really. This is the cowboy film that you know, most people say. Actually, you know, you'd, you'd put it along with The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, wouldn't you? But this is sort of that uh, the Sergio Leone trilogy. Yeah. So, um, so tell, us, tell us about the story. Of course, yeah. Well, this is none other than uh, Clint showing up as the man with no name, riding into town to uh, shoot up some uh, some factions, none other than face off against two gangs of uh, outlaws, uh, showing that he can you know, turn them against each other so he can come out on top. Yes. Now, and, and also the story was actually... Um... Uh, it's been made a few times before and since uh, it was because this in itself was a remake based on a Japanese film by Akira Kurosawa um, that was called um, Yojimbo. And it was the, the basically the same. I think in that one, it was a samurai who, who um, w- plays two rival families against each other in a town torn apart by greed, pride and revenge, which was in essence, you know, take out samurai, put in gunslinger. And it's kind of the same movie. Um, oh, but I imagine it's missing a cracking soundtrack like uh, Fistful of Dollars has. Yes, well, yes. Yeah, so, so one of the most iconic things is it, well, a few things I guess that stand out from these movies. You've got you've got the magnificent um, visual display from Sergio Leone, the director. You've got Clint Eastwood's iconic portrayal of the man with no name, and also the man of few words, uh, and uh, <laughs> and the music of Ennio Morricone, uh, who who you know was was a frequent collaborator with Sergio Leone and and all of those things I think came together to make this rather splendid film uh and and often considered to be you know a, one of the finest examples of the spaghetti western uh, but Max do you know why they called them the spaghetti westerns I think I have a rough idea is it because they were filmed in Italy no because they were filmed in Spain they were, but it's because they are Italian made. They were Italian financed. And so, um, but it was weird because Westerns being that they're all about American history to not be made in America by Americans was sort of 
slightly unusual. And so it were, these were spaghetti westerns because they were made by an Italian and an Italian film studio. And, and one of the other things about this movie that, that is apparent if you know this and then watch it again is that with Italian movies of the time, they never recorded audio when they shot the film. So they just used cameras. They shot all the images and they put all the audio on afterwards. And so all the actors were, were international actors from various different countries and they all just spoke their lines in their own language and they dubbed it all afterwards. And so for some of the actors, you can see how the, the, the words never quite marry up with the lips. And when when these films were then subsequently released in America, because they weren't shown initially in America, they were Italian movies. Uh, but when they were released in America, they had, then had to be redubbed for an American audience and Clint Eastwood dubbed himself. So oh. you do. So, but but initially, it would in the original version, it wouldn't have been his voice you would have heard because it was all in um, Italian. And the the original title was Per un pugno di dollari, and that's exactly. So it wasn't how it a said. case of a. It wasn't a case of Clint not speaking very much because he, he had a bit of stage fright. It was a case of it was more convenient to you know just stand there and look stoically at everyone. Well, apparently he, there is interviews where he said that he originally there was pages and pages and pages of dialogue for him. And he kept saying to the director, I don't need this. You know, I can, I can convey all of that with a look, you know. And, and, and so he, he apparently at his own insistence, yeah, a lot of the dialogue was slashed in favour of just him looking mean. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's the first of the great um, Dollars trilogy there, Fistful of Dollars. Uh, and that's on uh, Monday, the 21st of uh, February, ITV4, 9pm. Let's move to Tuesday, the 22nd of February, uh, Film 4, 9pm, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. Oh, this is a fan. This is a, uh, you know, uh, I talk about the fact that I like a film that you can just watch for a couple of explosions, a couple of gunfights, and uh, sort of turn your brain off for. And I'm going to go ahead and say, this is one of those right here. So Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, of course, being part of the very famous uh, Jack Ryan series by a certain author, a Tom Clancy, who I think most people would have, if they haven't heard of him, they would have seen about 27 of his books somewhere. Uh, so, <laughs> so Max, tell us about the cast. Of course, so the cast itself, we have none other than Chris Pine, uh, sort of a Hollywood favourite in the uh, 2010s, uh, stars as none other than Jack Ryan himself, uh, pairing up with his uh, his partner, uh, Kira Knightley, in this film, who sort of stars as a physician who sort of helps him out by making his way back from this. Uh, Kevin Costner as well starring alongside as a sort of a as FBI, CIA, sort of like a handler, sort of keeps things in line. And Kenneth Branagh, who also directs. Yeah, so he, he plays kind of the villain of the piece, doesn't he? Yeah, nice, nice Russian accent going on here. Well, and now he's played Poirot a couple of times. Uh, he's uh, obviously he, he, he's showing his diversity with accents, but uh, but yes. Yeah, so uh, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. So this is the I think this was the um, fifth Jack Ryan movie, and I think um, Chris Pine was the third actor. Have you seen any of the other Jack Ryan films? We've had The Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, and The Sum of All Fears. I can't say I have actually. This is okay. this is my first exposure to Jack Ryan. I haven't even read a Jack Ryan book, so maybe I need to, uh, you know, rewatch this one and then uh, check some of the history. Okay, and and uh, I gather as well that this one is something of a reboot, isn't it? So whereas in the other char- in the other films, Jack Ryan is already kind of he's already the person of the books, whereas this is sort of like an origin story, isn't it? 
you can go in blind. Yeah, this sort of tells us the story of Jack Ryan, how he became the uh, the CIA uh, person we know today. You know, the journey of analyst to uh, complete action hero. <laughs> okay. Um, now, have you seen the Amazon series that they've done called Jack Ryan? Uh, I don't know if if there's if if that's something you've seen or not, or how you felt it may be compared. I haven't. No, I've heard good things about that one. So that's sort of that's. Um, I'm trying to remember the actor's name. It's uh, Zach. John Krasinski. Oh, John Krasinski. I don't know why I called him Zach. <laughs> John Krasinski. No. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and and again, you see, that's sort of a reboot again, and and uh, is not based because this this does this film that you're talking about doesn't follow any of the previous ones, and and the uh, the Amazon series ignores all the previous ones as well. Uh, but but it's it's telling a similar tale in terms of the age of the character. In both instances, it's it's them as young people early in in the in the story of of Jack Ryan. But anyway, it's it's a it's a good old film. I think I quite agree with you there. That's Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, uh, Tuesday the twenty second of February, uh, film for nine pm. Now let's move to Wednesday the twenty third of February, ITV for ten pm, The Silence of the Lambs. What an absolute classic. None other than um, Anthony Hopkins starring as the very iconic Hannibal Lecter, uh, who is the sort of uh, the awful maniac who has to advise uh, an FBI agent played by Jodie Foster, Clara Starling, who is tracking down none other than the uh, the serial killer Buffalo Bill. Uh, this is a really fantastic story. I Honestly, one of my favourite films of all time, so I will always recommend it if I ever see it on TV. Okay. Uh, do you remember much about when you first saw it? And how it, how, um, what you thought of it? Um, I remember being so. It was a, it was a late night, and I think it might have been playing on ITV Four at another time as well, actually. But I just remember being absolutely. Um, I suppose does it? Is it sounds? I'm about to say horrified. It's one of those things that yeah. it's so shocking you can't look away from it because uh, the whole film does a really good job of making you feel uncomfortable. It's if it's not um, if it's not Ted Levine, uh, you know. Uh, horrifically uh, assaulting some young women, then it's uh, Anthony Hopkins just doing that sort of, you know, that ch- that trick he does where he licks the inside of his mouth to like unsettle you. Yeah, so, so this was his first time playing uh, Hannibal Lecter. He he went on to play him a few more times, uh, and and when the film came out, uh, it was there was a lot of hype around this film and a lot of things about it being the scariest movie ever made about people collapsing in the cinema about paramedics having to resuscitate people who were just shocked so much and 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 the stories about anthony hopkins at like in his car at the traffic lights and he just looks out of his window at a, a woman in a car beside his and and she passes out with fear you know and and i'm sure a lot of that was all made up but it didn't have play into the the psyche at the time that this was a terrifying film and and when i went to see it i was about 16 and i was bricking it all the way through the movie and 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 yeah. was completely on the edge of my seat and it was so well done it it won as well um one two three five oscars including best picture uh, best actor best actress best director and best writing in fact it wins what they call the big five and um it was yeah. only the third film in uh, academy history to win the big five we do have um, quite a few oscar winners going on today don't we or going on this week actually mm. Yeah, yeah, but but they're yeah, great film. Now, have you? He was also uh, Anthony Hopkins. Often people think was like the first person to play play Hannibal Lecter. He was actually the second. Do Do you happen to know? I'm really putting you on the spot here. Who played him first? Was it Brian Cox who played him first? It was. Well done. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> there was there was a movie in the mid '80s by Michael Mann who did Heat, 
and Miami Vice. And he did an, uh, a version. He did he did the previous book, which the book was called Red Dragon, but the the film was called Manhunter. But then it was subsequently the the book was remade and called Red Dragon with Anthony Hopkins playing Red Dragon. Hannibal Lecter. Red Dragon was Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins doing such a good job in this film that, he, that they that come back for a second turn. But it was a prequel story instead of Red Dragon, wasn't it? Yes, it was set before, and so they had to do a bit of digital de aging of um, mm. of, of uh, Anthony Hopkins for it. And he also did um, Hannibal, which was the sequel to this one. And they had um, Julianne Moore playing the part that Jodie Foster mm. played in this one. She played played Clara Starling. But uh, but yeah, the Silence of the Lambs are a classic uh, movie, and what what a taut psychological thriller. That's Wednesday, the twenty third of February, ten pm on ITV four. And then we go to your final film, Max, uh, for your uh, first film guide. And uh, Thursday, the 24th of February, 10 p.m. Uh, on film f- on, on BBC4, my mistake, we have I, Tonya. Uh, so I, Tonya tells the iconic story of Tonya Harding. Uh, I first saw this film when it came out in the cinema. And all I can say is that um, it made me, I it, all of a sudden, I had a, a massive interest in Olympic skating that I had to read about because it seems... Uh, unbeknownst to me until I saw this film, there is a seedy underworld. Uh, there's some shocking stories that went on. Well, how prescient is that right now when we're hearing stories about, you know, Russian skaters who are who, who, who maybe failed drugs tests and, and you know, it, it does, it, you know, it, it does seem like, like this is quite prescient in some way. I don't know whether this is why they've chosen to put it on, on this uh, this coming week or not. Probably not. They probably would have decided this a few weeks back, but... Large coincidence, but we can. Uh, I'm sure they can make the most of it. <laughs> okay, so tell us the story, Max. Of course. So uh, in this film, Margot Robbie stars, stars as um, Tonya Harding herself, who retells the story of uh, how she sort of uh, grew up in this uh, troubled childhood home. Uh, her mother, who is played by uh, Alison Janney, uh, also does a really fantastic job in this as well. They have a really taut relationship. That they're put. They're pushing each other to the edge. Uh, Tonya Harding has this very difficult childhood, but she stands tall in that she wants to be the greatest skater, no matter what sort of uh, problems she, she faces, no matter how many other skaters she has to bash out of the way. Um, it's the story is sort of told uh, retrospectively. It's very um, reminds me sort of a uh, Goodfellas. This whole sort of uh, the narrative going on in the background. Tonya Harding is uh, narrating her life every single stage, uh, building up to none other than this sort of uh, the famous story of uh, a rival skater getting bludgeoned, which is uh, unfortunately seems to be a how Tony Hardy, or, or fortunately or unfortunately, how Tony Hardy's name is sort of remembered now is that somebody else got beat up so that Tonya could uh, could uh, go for a skating in an Olympic uh, final. But um, it does a really, uh, really fantastic job. Again, another Oscar nominee, I want to say, this one here. No, it won an Oscar. Um, Alison Janney won for, for, for her portrayal as, uh, as Tonya's mother. Uh, and Margot Robbie was nominated for Best Actress for, um, for her portrayal as well. But yes, it won, it won an Oscar and it was nominated for a couple more. Uh, but that's, uh, that's I, Tonya. The, the, so another sort of biopic there. You started your, well, you, earlier in your choices, you had Bohemian Rhapsody, a biopic of Freddie Mercury. And, and we conclude with the biopic of the uh, ice skater, Tonya Harding. Uh, so that's I, Tonya on Film 4, uh, 10 p.m. Thursday, the 24th. Sorry, it's not Film 4. I said that again. BBC 4, <laughs> Thursday, the 24th of February. Now, uh, Max, 
if you had to choose one of those movies uh, on TV, uh, which one would you choose as your film of the week? If if the which listener was... only had time to watch one, which one would you say they should watch? Oh, it's going it's going to have to be Silence of the Lambs. It definitely has to be. We talked about the fact that it unsettles you. You might watch it and it might be, you know, you might be horrified, but you will not be able to take your eyes off the screen. And I mean that as a massive compliment to it. Uh, Anthony Hopkins uh, it does an incredible job. Uh, there's a reason why uh, he is so iconic for his, you know, his comments about how he likes to eat steaks and his like a nice glass of Chianti. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so that's uh, that's Max's uh, the film of the week there, uh, Silence of the Lambs. So if you want to know the the films that Max has just talked about there, if you want to see when they're on, then look in the description of this podcast episode right now, and you can see the the list of films Max has recommended along with the uh, times that they're on TV. And you can also find that on our website, stalbanspodcast.com. Uh, next week on the film guide, it is the return of uh, producer Sam. She's going to be taking the taking the helms. No, not taking the helm or taking the reins. I kind of said both there at the same time. Uh, but Max will be back. Max is going to be doing this on the 3rd and 5th uh, Fridays of the month. So thank you, Max. Uh, there aren't many fifths in the year, so, so it'll only be a couple of times. But but he'll be back every 3rd um, third Friday for sure. Uh, so, Max, uh, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, producer Sam's up next week. And like we said, if you want to find out more, find us at stalbanspodcast.com. We're on all the major podcasting platforms and also on the major social media channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are at St. Albans Podcast. Max, thanks a lot. Thank you, Danny. Always a pleasure. <laughs>